Today we're going to continue our series that we've gone through as a church family that we've been going through. Uh, this series is called Good News for All, and we've been studying the Gospel of Luke together. We've been looking at the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we've been basing ourselves over the last few weeks in, in Luke chapter 3. We're going to continue that this morning, but the title of this message today is Why Not Cure? Why Not Cure? And we'll be reading from Luke chapter, Luke chapter 3, verse 7 to 14. And this is what it says. It says, when the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're saved for we're descendants of Abraham. This means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the root from the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do, asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. As I said, over the last few weeks, we've been, the last few months, we've been studying this gospel of Luke together. You can catch up on previous messages on our website and on our YouTube channel. But we see that this book was written by this man called Luke. He was a doctor. And he was writing it to this man, this non-Jewish guy called Theophilus. And the reason he was writing this gospel to this man, Theophilus, writing this account of Jesus is because he wanted this man, Theophilus, to be grounded in the truth. He wanted to tell this man about who Jesus was or what Jesus had come to do. It says this in Luke 1, verse 3 to 4. Luke says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I've also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. I love that, certain of the truth. We have a certain hope this morning. His name is Jesus. He wanted to write an accurate account. He wanted to say that Jesus wasn't just a made-up story. He isn't just a made-up person, but Jesus was real. What Jesus has come to do, he did. It was re It really, really happened. This historical evidence, this proof, that Jesus existed, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again. There is accurate historical proof. And that's what Luke wanted to do, was write this accurate account for Theophilus. And so we've seen that Luke writes these few chapters, first of all, in the first few chapters, he talks about the birth of Jesus, the early years of Jesus. And now we come to the part where Jesus is about to begin his earthly ministry. But before Jesus starts going preaching around the towns and healing the sick and raising the dead, God sends someone to prepare the way. God sends somebody to prepare the hearts of the people. Just like before kings come to a town or go to a place, they have heralds who are preparing the way, letting people know that a king is coming. So God sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for the king of kings. So people are ready to receive Jesus. And this man, John the Baptist, this was his mission. He was the cousin of Jesus, but the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And his purpose, his mission here on earth was to prepare the way for Jesus. 
And you know, God has a plan and purpose for your life this morning. God's got a plan and purpose for every one of us. And ultimately, all of our plans and purposes to point to Jesus, to tell people about who Jesus is and what he has done. But God gave John a message. He gave him a message. Now, it wasn't a nice message for preachers. It wasn't a comfortable message. It was quite a difficult message that God had given John. It was, it was quite a tough message, but it was a God-anointed message. And what was this message that John declared to the people who came to the wilderness, who heard about him and heard what he was doing? What was this message to the people? Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, you might not have heard of that word repent, or maybe you've heard of it, but it might seem like an old-fashioned word. It might be a word that we don't use so much anymore, but you know, that word repent, it, it means more than just regret or sorrow. Regret means, uh, repent means more than that. Repent, being repentant is being more than sorry for something. It's not just saying sorry for something bad that you have done. You know, the person who says a lie and gets caught, they are sorry, aren't they? And they apologize, they say sorry. The criminal who gets caught in the act, they are sorry. But the question is, does that sorrow lead to change? Does it lead to transformation? Because it might not. We might say sorry if we do something bad, but does that mean we're going to change because of what we have done? There are people who are sorry because of the consequences of what they have done, but then they never make any changes in their lives. They keep on messing up, keep on doing the same thing. Real sorrow, according to the Bible, leads to repentance. And real repentance is being sorry enough for what you've done that you're going to stop and change the way that you live. That's what real repentance is. It's recognizing you've done something wrong, but it's recognizing I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to live in a completely different way. I'm going to change my behavior. I'm going to change the way I think, the things that I do, the things that I act. I'm going to change my way. That's what real repentance is. And so John, he comes with this message to the people, to the crowds, and he says to them, repent. And he says this to church leaders, to pastors, to religious leaders, he tells them that they are being hypocrites, that their lives, they live in lives of sin and they need to change their lives. He confronts them with this message. And he says there in Luke 3 verse 7 to 9, he says, prove by the way that you live. In other words, show that you're really sorry. Show it by the way that you live. It's a powerful, powerful message. But you know what happens as John preaches this message? is even more powerful. What happens after he tells them to change the way they live, to repent, is even more powerful. I love what it says, and this is what God dropped in my heart for us this morning. It says this in Luke chapter 3, verse 10. This is after John preaches this message of repentance. It says, the crowds asked, what should we do? What should we do? In other words, John brings this message, he preaches this message, and it cuts deep. It gets to their hearts. They're convicted by the sin. They're convicted by the way that they live in. And they realize, we need to do something about this. We need to change the way that we live. What should we do? In other words, we see here that John, under the anointing of the Spirit, preaches the gospel, preaches about Jesus, tells them to get their lives right. And they are convicted. I say, what shall we do? How can we turn 
around our lives. You know, what we see happening here is a revival in the wilderness. There is a revival that is taking place in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of the desert, people's hearts and people's lives are getting changed. People are saying, what must I do? How can my life be transformed? How can I change the way that I'm living? In other words, they want to live for God. There is an awakening that's taking place in people's hearts and lives. The word of God is being preached under the anointing of the Spirit. Jesus is being pointed to. Jesus is being exalted. People from every race, every background, every culture are coming because God is moving. God is speaking. People are coming to hear. And what do they want to do? They want to repent of their sins. They want to change their lives. They see how wonderful Jesus is. And they recognize that the way that they live in is rubbish and they want to follow Jesus. That Jesus has a better way to live. That Jesus is that way. And so what do they do? They say, what must we do to be changed? What, what, what should we do? What can we do to be saved? How can we change our lives? We want to live for God and put our faith in him. So what should we do? Revival in the wilderness. God begins to move. People begin to get saved. And not only do they get saved, the Bible says people start to get baptized. In other words, they show immediately, there's this public declaration of what's going on in here. They say to everybody, look, I'm now a follower of Jesus. Now I believe in God. My old life was gone. My new life has come. I'm living for God. I'm sold out for him. There's thousands and crowds, people coming together and lives are being changed. God is on the move. Revival in the wilderness. And you know, as I was preparing, this message, I felt led by the Lord to share this. I've got a photo on the next slide, if that's possible, please, Dave. Does anybody know where this is? Anybody know where this is? Some of you might, but anybody know? If you do know, if you're brave enough to say, shout it out. Anybody know where that is? No, nobody knows where this is. Well, this is a photo of a theological university in America. The, this is a photo of a university called Asbury University. This university is in a place called Kentucky, in the middle of nowhere, the back of beyond in America. And before this week, the majority of this world, including you and I, wouldn't have heard about this place, wouldn't have known this place ever existed. I didn't even know this place existed. The majority of the world wouldn't know this place existed. However, Last Wednesday, something changed. Something incredible happened in this place last Wednesday morning. On Wednesday morning, February the 8th, the 8th, it was business as usual for this theological university. The university students had gathered in this place and they'd come together just to worship, pray, hear a message before they started their day and started their studies learning about God. This is what they've done every single day. And there was a message preached by one of the lecturers in this university. And if you've listened to this message, you might have, it's on YouTube. It is a bog standard message. Nothing fancy, no frills, nothing in it. Just pointing the students to Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit and about being united and loving one another and loving the world. It's a very, very basic Christian message. Powerful, yes, but a very basic message. But after the, the lecturer finished, finished preaching, 
In this university in Kentucky, the Holy Spirit broke in. God began to move in this place. The presence of God came in a way that they haven't experienced since the 70s. Because apparently there was something powerful happening in the 70s in this place as well. And the presence of God came. University students who love Jesus all of a sudden had a fresh passion for God. They had a fresh hunger for God. They realized that they needed more of Jesus in their lives. That they maybe weren't living the way that they should. And they needed more of Jesus. And so they began worshiping. They began praying. They began waking on God. And God was in the place. God began to move. God began to touch hearts and lives. And as I stand here today, they still haven't left that room. Eight days later, or seven days later, they're still in that place. But you know what's happening in that place? Is people far and wide are coming. People are drawn to that place. They're coming on trains. They're coming on planes. They're coming from all over America, all over the world. They've been in that university nonstop. Listen to this. Praying, worshiping, preaching, sharing nonstop for over 200 hours. Day and night, worshiping God. Why? Because God's in the place. Holy Spirit is in that place. And there is testimonies coming out of this place that there are people who are changing the way they live. There are people who are coming to know Jesus. There is salvations en masse. The gospel is being preached. There has been healings there. There have been people who are being delivered, who are being set free from the grip of the enemy. There are people who are coming back to know the Lord. People who once walked with God are having a fresh love for Jesus once again. Reports are saying that there are Bible studies happening on the steps of the university day and night. In corners of the chapel, they're praying, worshiping Jesus continually. The gospel is being preached. And the Holy Spirit is moving, not just in this place, but now it's spreading. In Lee's University, it's spread there. Revival is breaking out in Lee's University. There's about eight or nine universities in America right now where God is moving among students. Nat's age, Grace's age, where students are crying upon God saying, God, we need you. God, we rather you than the rubbish of this world. There are students who have stopped the way that they live in, partying, drinking, sleeping around, and instead they're saying, Jesus, we need you, that you have a better way to live, so I'm committing my life to you. The Holy Spirit is moving, and revival is happening. And you know the best part? There's no cool lights. There's no clever building. There's no clever sermons being preached. There's no celebrity preachers in the place. There's no great worship music. There's no weird man-made responses of people doing crazy things, rolling and backflipping. Nothing like that. God is leading it. God is in that place. And they're going after Jesus. They're hungry for Jesus. And I've got this morning just a small clip of this place, a little theological university in Kentucky. And Dave, if it's possible, it's only 30 seconds long. But have a look at this. This is what's happening in the university, even right now as we speak. Hopefully this will work. Thank you, Dave. I am so happy. 
place is packed out. But there are people who are crying upon God. They are worshiping Jesus. And I love that. Who are they exalting? Jesus. I exalt you, Jesus. I exalt you. And you might be wondering today, what's this got to do with us? What's this got to do with you and me? As I was preparing this message, or as I was reading about this revival that was taking place in the wilderness before Jesus came, preparing the way for Jesus, I began to ask God this question. As I've seen all this happening online this week, I asked the Lord this question. Why not you, God? Why not you? Why not you, Lord? If God can start a revival in the wilderness 2,000 years ago, and if God can start a revival in an unknown university in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky, in America, in 2023, why can't God pour out the Spirit here this morning in this small place, in a little place called Abiraman, among a village in Aberdeen? Why can't God do it? Why can't God do it? Why can't we know the tangible presence of God in a way that we've never encountered or experienced before? Why can't we see salvations? Not just one, two, three. Why can't we see salvations en masse, continually, day after day? Why can't we see the church awakened and every person in this room have a fresh love and a passion for Jesus as we haven't experienced for a long, long time? Why can't we see signs and wonders and miracles in this place? Why not here, Lord? Why not here, Lord? And as I asked the Lord this question in prayer this week, the Holy Spirit led me to this verse. Genesis 58, verse 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? And I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, I can and I will. I can and I will. Why? Not because Luke Norman says it, but because I believe oh God, Almighty God can do it. It's not by power, it's not by mind, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And if God can do it there, he can do it here. And I believe what God wants to do in this place will kickstart and lead us into the promise that he has for us as a church. You might be wondering, what's the promise that God has for us as a church? It was prophesied many years ago. The latter days are going to be greater than the former days. We've got an incredible past as a church. But God is going to do something even greater in the days to come. That is the promise of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit, who's moving in Asbury University right now, is the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And he's the same Holy Spirit who lives in your heart, my heart, and is here today. He's the same God. He is the same God. He hasn't changed. He is Almighty God, and he can do it here. And I'm praying, Lord, let revival break out in this room this morning. Let revival break out in my heart this morning. As it was already prayed by Kay this morning, turn the rocks into places of living water by my spirit. Turn the hard places in my heart soft again. God, get rid of the sin in my life and move in my heart again. That has been my prayer this morning. And I believe God is longing to move in this place. I believe God is longing to move in your life. And I honestly believe we can see a breakthrough here this morning that will usher in a revival that our community is desperately in need of, that our homes are desperately in need of, that our society is desperately in need of. But the question comes to us today. As I pose that question to the Lord, why not you, Lord? The question and the challenge comes to us. Are we ready for it? 
do you want? Are you ready for me? Are you ready to get rid of the sin and the rubbish in your life and say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I confess my sins. I give my life to you. Are we ready to repent of that? Are we ready to repent of our pride where we say, Lord, I'm all right on my own. I don't need you. I can do this life on my own. Are we ready to repent of that? Are we ready to repent of our apathy where we've just become religious, church-going people? Instead of hungry God seekers. Are we ready to repeat, repent of that? Are we ready to pray and seek the Lord? What if God moved you this morning? Are you willing to phone your boss tomorrow and say, I can't come in today. God is moving in this place. I don't want to leave. God is changing and God is doing something. I never want to leave. Are we ready to preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus? Are we longing to see souls saved from an eternity in hell? Does that burden you? Does that work in your hearts this morning? Does that bother you that people are going to lost eternity? Are we ready to get out of our comfort zones? And say, Jesus, I'm living for you. I'm fed up with the status quo. I'm fed up with just going to church. I'm fed up with just being like I am. God set me ablaze for you. Are you ready for that? Well, this morning, the answer is, if that answer is yes, then get ready. And watch God move. He's never moved before. What your God can do in your life. And I just want to end by reading this verse. This promise this. From the word that this is from the Lord this morning. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from them. I will forgive their sins. I will restore them. I promise of your life. If you will just say, God, I'm sorry. Thank you. Jesus, come. Watch what I did. Can we pray?